hello, hello out there in Radio Land. Your buddy the Humble Farmer here with an hour of old-fashioned music just for you. Thank you for listening. Have you been watching the news lately? Nowadays it seems that couples living in a home in which shots have not been fired are considered to have a good marriage. Hi there, this is Clark Terry here, reminding you to pull your bearskins a little closer to the fire. That's it. <laughs> You're talking to me. Ah, watch out for those snapping sparks. Everybody cozy? Now the good news is that you're in time for the humble farmer. You've worked hard all day, and you deserve to relax now. So stay right there and listen to the best of this kind of music. Thank you. 
probably played that song in the key of G with Claude Noel hundreds of times. That was one of Claude's specialties. Nowadays, couples living in a home in which shots have not been fired are considered to have a good marriage. I thought that was pretty good. I like that one. (laughs) You might have seen that morning TV show where people got injections to remove the wrinkles around their eyes. Now, I I didn't know nothing about this procedure, although I was aware that old women could have wrinkles removed by surgery. Of course, you know that you can usually tell who these women are because after two or three of these wrinkle-removing operations, their skin is stretched out like a silk stocking filled with softballs and you get the impression that they must sleep with their eyes open. It is also no secret that there is a great market for a pill that takes the wrinkles out of something else. One of the great tragedies in life is that young people do not think about impending wrinkles. And, of course, it might be 50 or 60 years before kids realize that the old man knew what he was talking about and that, had they listened, they could have been spared a bit of wrinkled grief. And this is too bad, because young people are the only people who are in a position to do something about wrinkles. Hey, (laughs) I'm talking to you, young person. If you don't want wrinkles on any part of your body, 30, 40, 50 years from now, Don't smoke, stay out of the sun, and never, ever be foolish enough to get into a tannin booth.
Williams. I like Clarence Williams. You might have read, I know you read, you might have read that five people were accidentally shot at gun shows over a recent weekend. In just one weekend, five people were accidentally shot at gun shows. Because the people who attend these shows tell us over and over that they know all there is to know about guns. One cannot help but wonder if the shootings really were accidental. Keeping this in mind, some people from way down east believe that Maine high schools can easily find a place in the core curriculum for gun classes. Any teacher of American history will quickly tell you that a class on stockpile management and the control of small arms would fit in very neatly between football and testing.
Guyana here on the Humble Farmer where with any luck at all you can hear me playing old-fashioned music just for you every week at this time right here on your favorite station. Thank you again for listening. Barefoot, barefoot uh, once again in the park, dear friend. Do you remember that old news clip of Katie Kurwick interviewing the politician? He looked down at her and he mentioned that she wasn't wearing shoes because she'd kicked them off because they were impossible to run in and weren't fit to walk in and because they crushed her feet into an unnatural position they weren't even fit to wear while sitting down. Anyway, Katie Kerouac had to run to get this interview that she wanted and she could never have caught her subjects had she not kicked off her hideous-looking pointy-toed high-heeled shoes. I can't think of an ill-fit in anything that would cause me pain that I'm expected to wear in the name of fashion. Please remember that I can slack off my belt. So who says, who is it, who says that women can't wear sneakers to state dinners? Who says that women have to cram ten pounds a foot into a five-pound shoe? Is there a law on the books that says they must do it? Or do women cheerfully inflict this pain and discomfort upon themselves? When women are referred to as the weaker sex, is it a commentary on their minds? Think about this now. Is it possible that in countries where women must keep their faces covered or cannot go to school, that there are many women who feel bad for their American counterparts who are forced by men to wear high-heeled shoes? Thank mm-hmm. you. 
Duke Ellington, I think that was, Cottontail. There are people, you've been watching television, you know what's going on. There are people in America today who might have watched with amusement the folks on the cruise ship who went for days without good food or toilet facilities. Think about this. A week on that cruise ship would have been a walk in the park to the few folks who, 70-so years ago, survived a long train ride in a European country where same-sex marriage and unions were both banned. Ghana. Of 
course. Here on the humble farmer. Ghana on the humble farmer. You've heard of dentists who could look at fillings. You know they can do this. There are dentists who could look at fillings and recognize the work of a farmer professor. Uh-huh. See the bilateral cuspid there? So got a little abscess on it there or something? Uh-huh. And there are literary scholars who can read several chapters in a book and tell you from the style who wrote the book. Ah, paintings? They say that some people can look at a painting and just from the brushwork tell you who did it. Because then there are things that ordinary people, you and I, can do. Did you ever hear Tony Bennett singing just the way you look tonight. Da, 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 da. Of course, the first thing that comes into your head when you hear it is, oh, the bridge goes up a minor third. Must be Jerome Kern.
Scott Hamilton here on The Humble Farmer, where with any luck at all, you can hear me playing old-fashioned music just for you every week at this time. Every week at this time, must articulate, just for you. And you might recall hearing me say that I have read the first and last two chapters of the Da Vinci Code. Whenever I read a book, you know that I always read the first chapter and the last two chapters. Reading the first chapter tells me who the book is about, and reading the last two chapters tells me if he or she is still going to be standing at the end. If the book does not have a happy ending, I'm not going to waste my time reading it. I like books and movies that make me laugh. I am, of course, dependent upon movie subtitles, and even though I didn't understand most of what they were saying, because I like to laugh, the other night I once again watched Thank You for Smoking. If I want to be depressed, I can look in an old diary and see what I was doing 50 years ago today, or I can watch the evening news. I am now half a dozen pages deeper into the Da Vinci Code and am not comforted. I get the impression that the author is talking down to me when he patiently explains that the, that the Jardins des Tuileries has nothing to do with tulips. A week or two ago I mentioned the Louvre and Vigiland on this show, but because I know you, I did not need to say the Louvre or in Paris and Vigiland in Oslo. It would have been like slapping you in the face. Also, although we read how much research had been put into this book to obtain accuracy, <laughs> I couldn't believe my eyes when I read in the Da Vinci Code that Aunt Buckwald boasted that he had seen the Mona Lisa, Venus de Milo, and Winged Victory in five minutes and 56 seconds. <laughs> I almost cried. You know that this is not true. As everyone except the person who wrote this book, apparently, knows, Art Buckwald wrote that an American tourist named Peter Stone saw all three in five minutes and 56 seconds. You will recall that Peter Stone was the American tourist who once studied the winged victory for an hour and then said, it will never fly. Now, you might ask yourself, how can Robert Scoglund, the humble farmer who cannot remember the names or faces of his friends, neighbor humble who can't remember to hang out the wash, Robert Scoglund who puts a plate of food in the microwave at noon and forgets to eat it until his wife finds it there five hours later, how can this man with the intellectual prowess of a zombie critique a book that has sold 40 million copies? Here he is, pretending to have an archaeologist's knowledge of the Jardins des Tuileries. And how could he know that Aunt Buckwald never boasted of a six-minute Louvre? That's muy sencillo. Écoutez. May I explain? You might remember my mentioning that one evening, during a quiz at a Grange meeting, my brother knew how many million sheep were in Australia. And afterwards, when I asked my brother how he knew how many sheep were in Australia, he said, 
that Mr. Moberg had mentioned it in a geography class down at Gorham Normal School. And of course I allowed as how that was nice, but how in the world could he remember it for over 45 years? And my brother straightened his shoulders and he looked me in the eye. And he simply said, How could you forget anything that Moberg said? May I, with slouched shoulders, study my shoes as I advance to you the same argument? How could you forget anything that I Buckwald wrote?
Errol Garner. <laughs> Errol Garner. Here on the Humble Farmer. I'm playing old-fashioned music for you. Thank you for listening. While looking through Dateline's webpage, this is what I read. I quote here, I quote here without permission. The earliest known ancestors of modern humans might have reproduced with with early chimpanzees to create a hybrid species, a new genetic analysis suggests. Scientists can't say how long the hybridization carried on, but the final speciation occurred around 5.3 million years ago, probably because the two species' genetic codes were too different to mix, or because the animals were simply physically unappealing to each other. (laughs) Think about that. Would this not also substantiate the hypothesis that they didn't have alcohol back then?
Sugar. I call my baby my Sugar. Bix playing across in the Paul Whiteman band. My word, almost time and only 50 minutes left. i got to remind you again that you're listening to The Humble Farmer here on your favorite radio station. I want to apologize for having a main voice. Kind of unusual in Maine now to turn on a radio and hear somebody with a Maine accent talking. <laughs> yeah, he's probably from New Jersey putting it on. If you have friends or relatives in Europe, you know that they all do it to you. They all do it. You can mail your friends and relatives the best German or Spanish that you can muster. And the next day you'll get an email back in German or Spanish. And on the bottom will be one last sentence where they shifted over to English to say, If you can't understand my German, I'll write in English instead. Even though our ability to communicate with them in their language breaks the American stereotype, that stereotype is so strong they suspect we must be doing it with mirrors. Have we brought this on ourselves? Have you found that in Europe Americans are not famous for being known for their prowess in the humanities? Noam Chomsky is probably the only person in this country who can still remember and rattle off which despotic governments and which guerrilla groups we were fund, funding to overthrow democratic governments as recently as 30 or 40 years ago. Don't expect to see anything more recent than the American Revolution taught in your local school because, well, reading about the countries we have invaded is embarrassing and the sooner we forget it, the better. And while most any European kid might grow up learning four or five languages, the business community in this country pushes for a curriculum where graduates will unthinkingly obey... I'm sorry, I've got to get up and answer that phone. <laughs> and while most any European kid might grow up learning four or five languages... The business community in this country pushes for a curriculum where graduates will unthinkingly obey any order and then stand behind a checkout counter in a big box store and make correct change for no more than 22 or so hours a week, you know, so they won't have to get benefits. But I was talking about the shock Europeans get when they encounter an American able to exchange even a few common phrases in their language. It might remind a European of Samuel Johnson's comment that a woman's preaching is like a dog's walking on his hind legs. It is not done well, but you are surprised to find it done at all.
you know who, here on the Humble Farm. I do remember seeing that Dateline program where they filmed 50-year-old men showing up at a house ostensibly to keep a date they'd made online with a 12-year-old girl. We are talking first-class reality television here that puts cops to shame, and if you can't feign an interest in seeing a naked man walking into a house with a box of Cool Whip in his hand, I strongly suggest that for the good of your kids and the other children in your community, that you at least read about this show so you can meet some of the fellows your kids are chatting with online. Perhaps you can also go to your computer right now and still watch this show on Dateline's webpage. Now, I'm 77 years old. I have been in the Coast Guard and I have four years of grad school. I have walked darkened streets, darkened back streets in Rome, Athens, Amsterdam, Paris, Bucharest, Casablanca, and Boston. I can still vividly remember the hazards of hitchhiking over 50 years ago when I'd actually have to fight off men who obviously trolled the roads for hitchhiking sailors. They tried to paw me and whined and cried and begged me for what they promised would be a wonderful experience, but this Dateline show made it clear that I ain't never seen nothing and I don't know nothing. There is another world out there now, my friend, that old folks like me can't even imagine. And we owe it to our kids to start catching up. When you saw the cops on Dateline grab 20 men, some of whom showed up at 4 in the morning to keep dates with 12-year-old girls, you must have realized that you would have to multiply this one operation by every town and city in the world to understand the extent of the problem. Listen. Listen to what I turned up on Google. Hear this. During the Fort Myers sting, more than a hundred men contacted, expressed interest, and fit the profile of an adult sex predator, and some even posed as children themselves, perverted justice officials said. According to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, 50,000 50, sexual predators are online at any time and between a half a million and three-quarters of a million are online each day. We are talking online numbers here, so the predators don't even need to be in your state. Hear this? You cannot escape by being rural. You can see that there's a problem here. I don't have an answer, but listen to me. If I had children, I would take a very close look at what they are doing online.
Have you ever seen men whom you might think have nothing going for them who are married to attractive, intelligent, industrious women? If you asked whatever got them together in the first place, she might say, he makes me laugh. Unfortunately for many men, they run out of material. Movies, books, and plays have been written about wives who are still able to evoke a painful smile the 38th time they hear their husband tell one of his shop-worn stories. My hat goes off to any woman who can laugh at her husband's old jokes, and any husband who can come up with quality new material has my admiration. You know that I am not one to boast or brag, but I have the ability to make my wife Marsha the almost perfect woman laugh any time, any place, and I am not talking here about a chuckle, but a wholesome, honest laugh that would make Jack Benny proud. To employ the vernacular, I can crack her up. You know I have no secrets from you, and you know that I'm going to tell you right now how I do it. Any man is welcome to follow my example as long as he uses his own wife and chalks up a mental thanks to me each time. Ready to write this down? I gently seize Marsha by the shoulders. I gaze deeply and lovingly into her eyes, and then, having captured her attention as it were, I say with a deep and mellifluous voice, My dear, please remember that I am the boss in this house. <laughs>